Hi, welcome to worship. My name is Mikhail, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I am here because I really want to be with you. Thanks so much to our friend and fellow 8th Streeter Amari for sharing the gifts of your limitations with us. Last week's weekly practice was finding a way to offer signs of life to others in the midst of our current limitations, and I think that is a great example. We are grateful. We want to welcome you to worship with us online today in this sixth Sunday of Lent, also known as Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. And as you are coming to join us, we invite you to let us know that you are here. You can sign in to church online without giving away any of your information except just letting us know what your name is so that we can greet you. And if you're watching on Facebook, we ask that you um, allow us to let us greet you and welcome you. So as we gather in worship, I want to offer this uh, word of prayer to us as we are the scattered people gathering together. Lord God, we are grateful that you provide ways for us to be together when we can't be together in body. We ask that your Holy Spirit would do the work that we cannot. Connect us, inspire us, comfort us, challenge us, remind us what is true as we are gathered here together so that we can be sent out to be beacons of hope and life in your world. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing as we worship together?
side has a weight, has a weight. Heart of God, satisfied and sustained. As I hear the voice of God, lead me on, be my God.
God in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Hi, my name is Lauren Workentine, and I'm coming to you from my kitchen here in Mesta Park. Today, we are not gathering in the same physical space, but we are still gathering. The words will be on your screen, so I invite you to say your part out loud so we all know that we're saying them together. We gather here to tell the truth. We don't have our lives together, and on our own, we can't get them together. We confess that we are poor, and we are hungry and thirsty for what we cannot provide ourselves. We need God's grace and we need each other. We gather here to tell the truth that while we were still sinners, God died in solidarity with us. And now you and I are forgiven, set free and adopted into a good family. And you and I are not alone. We belong to God and to, and to one another. We are God's people, people who are rich and satisfied, people of peace, reconciliation and love. So today, we gather here to tell the truth. Our lives are better when we are neighbors. We are not all the same, but we are ready for transformation. We gather here to tell the truth. 
we will be a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. Right now, we are practicing being good neighbors, even as we take on the challenges of social distancing in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. But we want to make sure that distance does not create isolation. So for the next three minutes, we're going to practice being good neighbors by checking in with at least one person. As always, we want to remember to include our kids, especially now as they're away from their friends. You can send a message to, the ki to a kid through his or her parents, or if you don't have their parents' contact, send it to Pastor Hope. So with these things in mind, let's take a second to ask God to give you a name or two to check in with right now. If a person comes to mind that you don't have contact for, you can send it to Pastor Chris or Pastor Mikkel and they will pass it on. Now for the next three minutes, write a short message expressing that, in, that this person is on your mind and ask how they are doing and how you can pray and support for them right now. Everyone ready to be good neighbors? Okay, go.
Each week in worship, we get to hear one another's stories. And as we're worshiping online, we're doing it in video format. So each week we're inviting um, one family or one household to tell us a little bit about what their life is like these days and give us a peek inside their home and inside their routines. And so if you have a story that you want to share with us that way, please comment or send me a message, and we'd love to give you the guidelines. But for now, please listen to the good news that Caitlin and Caleb share in their good news story this week. Okay. All right. <laughs> good. Thank you. Um, Hi, we're the Lambs Flanagans. We're reporting in from Bethany. Uh, we made sure to get the camera so that everybody can see the puzzle table, um, which is probably the thing that's, uh, I don't know, maybe commanding the most of our time right now. <laughs> At least my time. Yes. Yeah. Um, I forgot what we were supposed to say. How, well, how we've been filling our time. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've been filling our time with this puzzle. Um, yeah, we. this has been an interesting season for us because we both are um, blessed to not have loads of work to do at home. And so we get to do this puzzle or go and read or listen to music. Or you know, We found out that we can uh, walk all the way to Lake Overholzer, and we've done it multiple times. Um, yeah, so we're sort of getting creative in our space because we have the free time to do that. Yeah, I think, um, like Kip said, we haven't had tons of work. My school has been closed and we're getting started next week. So that'll be interesting, um, trying to be a school counselor remotely. Um, and Caleb's been doing his internship for his counseling, so he sees his clients virtually, um, but neither of us has had like, you know, crazy, full weeks um, as far as jobs go, which has been fun um, and also interesting. Just lots of free time and lots of time being home together. Um, which I think leads into one of the things that I've noticed has been kind of a gift during this time when there's so much like, stress and uncertainty. Um, I think being home with him and us still being pretty new in our marriage, one of the things I've really appreciated is having all this time to kind of play together like just to get to enjoy each other and find that when we're both sort of not going 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 like rushing around to lots of different commitments and activities that there's such a spirit of playfulness and just getting to have fun and do things we wouldn't normally take time to do and so I've really enjoyed that and then also just having you know with your connections being so limited feeling like the times I do get to Skype with my family or have a girls night, FaceTime, whatever it is, it's so valuable. So really appreciating those moments of getting to catch up with people and because they are kind of sparse or distant at this point. Boy, what about me? Um, I have spent more time outside in the last couple weeks uh, than I have in like months combined previously. Um, I've gone on more walks than I usually go on, and it's been wonderful. Uh, it's been beautiful outside. 
I've gotten to go and like see all the parts of the neighborhood that I usually drive past and I've gotten to walk through them and I've gotten to feel um, sort of the sense of accomplishment as I walk for, you know, whatever, six miles or something and and uh, uh, <laughs> make it home and, and feel exercised and refreshed. And um, I've gotten to spend time um, reading outside, you know, just sort of enjoying the yard, enjoying our chickens and feeding them and, and talking with neighbors about them uh, because we're pretty proud chicken parents. And since all of our neighbors are now being forced to get out of their houses and walk past ours, we get to show our, our, our babies off. So that's nice. Yeah. It's also one of the ways we've tried to be kind of neighborly. I know Caleb's made some connections with people talking about him, but we've also been able to drop off eggs to a few different people. Um, and that's one of the things that I know have we've experienced, like people being good neighbors, is this sort of funny porch exchange. This puzzle currently was dropped off for me by a friend after I dropped off a, a puzzle to her. So I love and a lot of exchanging of baked goods have been going on between uh, me and some of my family members who also stress bake. So if you like carbs, give me a shout out and you might get some uh, brownies on your porch. So, I think that's all we had to say. Mm, what what's uh, what's been a challenge for us? Oh, good thing. Hmm. I mean, I think it's just that for me, the anxiety of like not knowing what my job is going to look like, or you know how like, we're going to be paid, or and things are starting to kind of settle now more. But I think probably like a week ago or two weeks ago that was the thing that was the most challenging um, yeah I think definitely that you know like a general sense of uncertainty but then also as someone who's very introverted um, and gets a lot of energy from being alone um, I've had to sort of <laughs> navigate uh, how to carve out like alone time and time with God and time just listening to music, you know, in the middle of all of this when I'm sharing a small house with someone. Uh, luckily, it's someone that I love, so that makes it easier. Um, but that's interesting. I don't uh, know what he's talking about. <laughs> I've been great. <laughs> she has been great. It's been wonderful. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's challenging, but also nothing, no challenge that we've been presented with has been unworkable, you know, and through intentionality and through sort of prayer and just a lot of um, you know, creativity, I guess, if I didn't already say that. Yeah. We've made it work and we've kept ourselves occupied and we haven't gone insane yet. So that's great. But we're also very excited to see you all again after this is over. Yes, very much so. Yeah. That's all. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Come here. Come here. That's them. They give us great eggs. And they really like to eat everything. What's that you're uh, feeding them there? Ooh, delicious. Worms. Dried worms. Right, guys, say hi to your church family. Emily says, thanks for letting us share a story with you. So who wants to follow that?
Anybody have any other chickens you want to share with us? Cats, dogs, children, puzzles, we'll take it all. We'd love to hear from you and see your stories as well. Thanks so much for sharing, Caitlin and Caleb. Um, in your um, notes, if you're watching online, and um, in your email, for those of you that are on Facebook Live, we don't have a notes section, but for those of you who are watching um, on Church Online, there's a notes tab that has all of our um, information for announcements and offering, and you can go there. I do want to talk to you for a minute about announcements, but before I do, I want to give you a second. If you would like to give online right now, you can find a link in the notes section or on our website. And we have had some ask about sending in checks, and you are still welcome to do this. However, we're asking that if at all possible, all giving could be done online so that it makes less work for those of us um, who need to come to the church, our treasurer, to make bank deposits, all that kind of stuff, as everyone is trying to stay home as much as possible. So we thanks in advance for that. For announcements, we have a couple of things coming up this week. For um, Holy Week is, is this week. It starts now. And so Pastor Banning has been leading us in Monday and Wednesday midday prayers on Zoom. We invite you to continue joining us for those, and that will continue this week. But we're also going to continue with our tradition of love feast and Good Friday service. It's just going to look a little bit different. So in your um, email tomorrow on Monday, you will receive a link to a, a way to do a love feast in your own home with your own family or Zoom call in those that you would like to be with um, in your family or those you know that live alone. And uh, we hope that this is a way for us to still celebrate the significance of Maundy Thursday, the commandment to love one another as we prepare for Easter. And then on Good Friday evening, we'll have an 8 p.m. Zoom call service, prayer and scripture time. And um, that will be under an hour, but all are welcome. There's an unlimited number on that Zoom call. And it will be a way for us to engage the story of Good Friday, pray together, and prepare our hearts for Holy Saturday. And then we're inviting everyone to join a 24-hour fast the evening of Good Friday through the evening of Holy Saturday. And if that can be fasting from all food, um, we invite you to do that. For others, for health reasons, that might not actually be a um, good thing. But we're asking that you find a way to fast something for those 24 hours so that we can be in prayer together during that time. And there will be a midday prayer Zoom call at 1230 on that Saturday as well. And then our Easter Sunday services will be as they have been here online, Facebook at 11 and uh, church online at 5 p.m. And we look forward to worshiping on Easter Sunday in a very different way than I think any of us have ever worshiped Easter before. But as Pastor Chris reminded us a couple of weeks ago, we will celebrate Easter even more so when we are back together. If you would now join me in prayer. Um, and as we... As I reflected on all the events of this week, the news that continues to grow um, by incredibly hard-hit areas like New Orleans and New York City, and then um, the 
CDC's announcement that we could look at 100,000 deaths in America before this is over, the job loss, you know, all of the stuff, the hard, heavy stuff. I've been trying to think about how we engage in prayer when our hearts are so heavy. And this week I came across a written prayer that I found to be incredibly helpful for me, and I invite you to pray along with me and hope that it is helpful for us to pray together. So I'll give some time for pause, and I invite you in those moments to make these words your own as we lift our burdens to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Precious Lord, on this holy week, we remember well that you know what it means to carry a heavy load. And so we ask that you would help us entrust our burdens to you. Holy Lord, you walked a difficult and winding road. Help us see all parts of our lives the loneliness and the togetherness, the grief and the joy, the fear and the excitement. Help us to see all the parts of our lives as sacred. Gracious Lord, so many hunger and thirst so many are in need. So many are sick in our world. So we ask that you would strengthen us for service so that we may be bread and drink and comfort for others. Precious Lord, as we go on to the work of this day, of this week, as we spend time with those we love, as we pray, as we hear news, as we are frightened or as we are reassured by your presence. In all of these things, we ask that you would take our hands and lead us lead us forward, helping us to know that you are with us now and you are with us in our future. We pray for this grace and we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Eighth Street family. This is Stella Reza from Oklahoma City, currently living in Honolulu, Hawaii. I work as a hospital chaplain and also as a pastor of spiritual life at Honolulu First Church in the Nazarene. And I'm so excited to be a part of today's worship service with you. And I get to read scripture this evening for you all. So if you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. All right, here we go. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me 
here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he has done through me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, Thanks be to God. Blessings to all of you. Well, I want to greet you in the strong and the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here at the 8th Street Church. And when I come into this empty sanctuary, I actually spend time singing as we record this service, imagining that you are with me. Uh, I, I think about this in light of the Jews of old who were spread all over. They were called the diaspora, the dispersed ones, the ones who were in different places. And the thing that held them together was the word of God. And so today we listen to this word and we understand that wherever we are, it is holding us together. Whatever we're going through, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is holding us together. We are in very interesting times. The word unprecedented seems to be the most commonly used word today. The world has come to a halt so quickly that our heads are still spinning. It's hard to decide what is up and what is down. No one has ever experienced anything like this, and certainly we as a global community have never gone through it. The whole thing that we're dealing with is unprecedented. They say that there's not enough equipment, not enough tests, there are not enough beds. They say that we haven't experienced the worst yet. I've used the word unprecedented a number of times over the last few weeks, and now it's become a buzzword, but the truth is, I think that we use this word because 
because we haven't really wanted to face the reality that is spinning up all around us. After thinking about it, there seems to be another word that I think fits the range of emotions that we feel. This is a word that is understood by both children and adults alike. And that word is the word sad. I've been sad. And this time, I think that sad is the best word to use. Some might think it's a too simple of a word, but I believe that it's actually a very robust word really thick in its meaning because sad includes and is the result of the following fear unmet expectations disappointment worry stress anxiety let down failure i think that is what some of the people of this congregation feel today and what is really unprecedented is that these things have, have happened to everybody all around the globe. And it seems, like it's, it seems like all of us around the globe feel all of these things at once. So I've put my mind to it, and, and I'm thinking that being sad is not just about events that, that once took place in the past. Sadness is also a present experience and a future reality. So let me tell you what I mean. I'm sad because of past events. I'm sad that some of this stuff could have been prevented, but there was no preparation. I'm sad that there are people who have died alone. I'm sad that I'm sad because over the last few weeks, children who need schools, business leaders who were running their businesses with character and integrity had to let go of their employers and their employees. And people in nursing homes and retirement homes haven't been touched by another human in, in weeks. That's been happening. I'm sad because people are forced to celebrate their anniversaries through windows. That's being, I'm sad because of past events. But I'm sad because of what we're currently experiencing in the present. My brother John is a medical doctor. He's a surgeon. He's been trained by some of the best uh, best teachers in some of the best uh, universities in the world. Because of the COVID-19 virus, they've, they've pulled him off his surgery rotation and put him in the intensive care unit in a hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta is a major hub in this country, so, that they're, so they're predicting that the issues that there in Atlanta are just about a week or two behind what is happening in New York City. He'll shortly be out of supplies. And he does protect his supplies, not because he's going to sell it, but because he's holding them to protect himself and his patients. I've had all sorts of worries and fears about him. He serves his patients with courage and diligence. And my sad feelings are because of this present experience. We've had people in our own congregation who are serving people in this way, healthcare workers, some healthcare workers we know live just across the street. And the patients that are there, I feel sad for them. And I'm sad because there are folks in our congregation that have already been touched by this, by this virus. They have to deal with it today. And here we are in the middle of the country, and it's worked its way here. And it, we know at least one of our eight streeters have the COVID-19, and others have relatives that are fighting for their lives. I'm one of those. The sadness is a present experience. 
But sadness is also a, it's also a future reality. I go to bed with sadness, and I'll wake up with it tomorrow. I'm tempted, and others try to encourage me to be optimistic, and so I'm tempted to sing, always look on the bright side of life, or, or the sun will come out tomorrow, like Annie, but, but it really doesn't change the deep sadness that we feel as a family when our oldest son, Watson, had his high school cap and gown delivered this week, and we're not going to see him in it because the ceremony has been postponed indefinitely. Or our daughter, Annabelle, we're sad because she's not going to see her friends anytime soon. She was, uh, she unknowingly had a, her last day of middle school. I, I feel sad about our business owners for some of them who are, who are trying to figure out what to do or our near retirement folks who are looking at their retirement portfolio or our universities who are worried about retention and also recruitment. I'm sad that our single folks will sit alone inside their living room in, in sort of an isolated prison. I'm sad that the already vulnerable are actually now more vulnerable and are going to be more vulnerable tomorrow. This week I ran into Chris as I had to stop by the church He's a homeless neighbor who was kneeling on our front steps, weeping, and at a six-foot distance, my friend Scott Dedman and I prayed with him. I'm sad for our Asian-American neighbors who are experiencing a deeper level of racism and xenophobia, children and their parents that are in cages on the border, neighbors and loved ones in prisons and in jails, Tax-paying citizens who don't have a social security number, so therefore they won't benefit from the stimulus packages, while businesses with abusive practices will. I'm sad about that. I'm sad about kids whose schools were safe havens from an abusive home. And I'm sad about the undocumented pastors who don't qualify for any bailout money. This is sadness. I feel sadness. Sadness is an event of the past, but it's also an experience of the present, and it's a reality of our future. It's what we look forward to in our future. And the Bible has a word for this sort of sadness. It's the word lament. It's what the psalmist felt when he cried out, How long, O Lord? It is what the weeping prophet Jeremiah cried when he said, My sadness and my worry is making my stomach hurt. I'm bent over in pain. I'm so afraid. My heart is pounding inside me. Disaster follows disaster. Lament is what Jesus felt in the garden on the night before he was betrayed. It was that feeling that he had on that first Palm Sunday as he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He wept over that city. He said he wanted to take that city under his care and protection, and he felt for them like a mother hen feels for her chicks. And instead, that great city of God would be the city where God was crucified. It would be the place where he felt the pain, and he cried out on the cross, why? Many of us wonder if this out-of-control violence, out-of-control virus that keeps us from work and from one another will be our emotional, psychological, spiritual, and even physical undoing. And I think that that might be the reason why the church has held on to the letter to the Philippians 
and considered it such sacred scripture. They held on to it because it is a letter of lament, but it's also a picture of what life looks like on the other side. When we read the story uh, that is the behind-the-scenes story in Philippians, we find out that Paul is in prison. He's on death row, and he's looking at, a, at execution in the face. He's without friends. He's without family. His friend Epaphroditus almost died, and Paul laments. Now, some read the text that Stella read for us where Paul is saying to live as Christ and die as gain, and they just they say, well, this is the command by Paul for Christians to confidently stare, death, stare down death and spit in its face. But I don't think that's how Paul dealt with it, and I don't think that's the tone of Philippians. Instead, Paul writes time and time again about the agony that he felt in prison, where he was harassed cold, and he was hungry. And there were points, even in Philippians, a book of joy, when Paul experiences grief and sadness so deep that he can hardly take it. At one point, when Epaphroditus, his friend, was so sick that he almost died, Paul said, God had mercy on him, and also mercy on me. He kept Epaphroditus alive so that I didn't have to face more sorrow than I could take. And Paul has no shame in feeling grief. This is not an overly positive Paul, a glass half full Paul, and always look on the bright side of life Paul. This is a Paul who agonized as he wrestled with his life and his death. And this is the very point of his letter. While Paul literally stands in the middle of lament, he's looking at the Philippians with with a love so deep that he can barely express it. And he's longing for them to enter into a place with him, into that place of lament. He's longing for them to enter into that place so that together they somehow can see something new and that the Philippians and us and we can think about our lives and our world in new ways. It's like Paul asks, how does a person who is going through these sorts of experiences think with the Jesus mind as they face an uncertain and sad future? Well, everyone has been using the word unprecedented. And everybody's been using it because it seems sophisticated. It's a sophisticated word that can be used on news reports and allows us to be it allows us to be distant, and it allows us to be standoffish to the reality of our world. But the biblical people used a word that is much closer, that word lament. And I've been thinking about this, and I have been wondering about this a lot as I've been going through the book of Philippians, and as I've been calling and texting people one by one, praying for them, hearing their situations and their stories. I've been thinking about this, and I've decided, as strange as it might seem, that the ability to lament just might be a gift to us. And I think this is exactly what Paul is saying. And in hearing what Paul is saying, and hearing the needs of our people, 
I would argue that the very ability to name and to embrace what we feel and what we are experiencing today, this lament, this grief, this sadness, this stuff that we see in the psalmist and in Jeremiah and even in Jesus himself, I would argue that this could be an unexpected, grace-filled gift that God gives us. The ability to name our lament. This week I wrote in my journal, to lament means that we feel our humanity in the deepest sorts of ways. We might even be feeling it in a deeper way than if we were to experience other feelings, like feelings like pure joy or happiness or excitement. But instead, to feel our humanity in the deepest sort of way, which lament provides, is to acknowledge that we're alive. And to acknowledge that we're alive is to acknowledge that every life, including our own and our neighbor's life, is a gift. And to acknowledge the, the gift of life, real life, true life, is to, ex is to experience what is truly meaningful. And to experience what is truly meaningful is to experience gratitude. And gratitude reveals how life is a gift in brand new ways. So rather than denying the feeling of grief or sadness uh, or lament that one has, the gift that the Christian is given is the power to walk through those feelings. This is what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. Jesus' Palm Sunday journey on the back of a donkey is both the demonstration and the invitation to do just that to walk through our grief, to walk through our sadness, to walk through our lament. This was his journey into a deeper lament. And this was an example about how he felt about his own humanity and that he saw his own humanity as a gift and the humanity of his neighbors and those he wept for, even those who celebrated him on that day. I think that is why Paul can say, what happened to me is for the best. We know our humanity. We, we realize our humanity and the fullness of what it means to be human when we lament. And we realize that all of life, every good part of life and every awful part of it, is a gift, a gift by God. We as Christians are not pie in the sky, wait for heaven and angel types of folks. We are real world people who wrestle with real life and death issues. Ten years ago, I did a wedding for a couple. Don Carson and Linda Watson, my in-laws, got married. Both have shared their story with you here on a Sunday. Linda lost her first husband, Larry, to cancer, and Don lost his daughter Lisa and his first wife ring to cancer. He lost them both in the same year. I remember that wedding day. I prepared. They had asked me to be the officiant of their wedding and I prepared these words for the wedding, but I didn't realize how significant they were until I was standing on the platform of that church with the both of them, with, with our families surrounding them. And I said these words, not so long ago, you couldn't imagine standing here before God and these loved ones. At one time, joy seemed like something forever lost to you. But gradually, slowly, you began to heal until you were able to laugh, 
and to love and to make plans and to hope. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I'm in the life. And that he, is how he describes the unquenchable vitality of the gift that he brings. You both have been through your own Good Friday experiences. But now, today, standing on this platform, among your family and your friends on this wedding day, it is like an Easter for you. God has turned your mourning into dancing. And the sheer delight you take in each other speaks of God's love and grace, working to resurrect hope and joy into your lives. I remember on that day, it captured me. Easter is not the eradication of sadness or lament. It is the reality, however, of victory on the other side of that lament. And Jesus never says, worship me, but instead what he says is, come and follow me. This is the Christian invitation. We follow Jesus into the places of lament. And our ability to lament somehow in an, and in a grace-filled way allows us to see this world that we're in with the eyes of Christ himself and to think about this world even in its pain and to think about our own lives and the lives of our neighbor with the mind of Christ. And strangely, it is only through lament that we can find what true life is all about. And that leaves us thankful. Paul calls this the gospel or good news. And as I've said in the past, Paul believes, as others do, that the gospel has its own sort of energy its own power that goes out ahead of us and it draws us through the season of lament into opportunities of new life and goodness. How this works, I'm not exactly sure. But we have a word for that energy and the word is grace. Or what John Wesley more specifically called prevenient grace. It's a grace, an energy, a power that goes out before us. It's a power that cannot be locked up. And Paul doesn't really even care how this happens. He just cares that it's announced and recognized. And he's just glad that the energy goes through his own situation, through his own lament, to enter into and permeate the world that's around him. And his invitation to the Philippians is to join him on this journey of lament so that they might too be able to see and know the joy that comes on the other side of whatever that is. This week, I was in a Zoom meeting with a group of people from the evangel evangelical immigration table. There were chaplains, university representatives, pastors, and other civic leaders as they were experienced, and they were talking about their experience of lament. Their work for people on the borders, refugees, undocumented peoples, all that work seems to be put to a halt. Paul said these words, I'm in, I'm in chains for Christ. And it felt like these good people who were doing this sacred work were in chains as well. Their lament was felt through the camera and the, com and the computer screen. And the statement was made at the beginning of the meeting. The virus has made the vulnerable even more vulnerable. But after a few minutes of grief and lament and discussing problems and prayer, after talking about adults and children on the border, uh, 
paying people who pay taxes, who have visas, that we're not going to get anything from the stimulus package, other issues that were important to them. This group, this think tank, came up with two major ideas. The first idea was this. It's now our responsibility to give people space to lament. Because if we can give people, our people, space to lament, then we can let them know that they are human. And they, we give them an opportunity for, their own, for themselves to feel their own humanity. And then they saw this second thing. They began to, they began to think and talk. And, and they started to speak about mobilizing groups of people they knew, including themselves, who were on fixed incomes and didn't have to worry about whether or not they were going to lose their income. And they began to talk together and decided together to share, to give away their cut of the stimulus package for those who qualified to those who were not going to give a check. And lament led them to sacrifice like that. The energy called the gospel, it cannot be contained among people who are in places of lament. And Paul says it this way, no prison can keep it locked up. So I would say to you, watch out for Christians who have embraced the gift of lament, who are seen with the eyes of Jesus, who are thinking with the mind of Christ, who in their lament recognize their own humanity and can feel it in deeper ways than they've ever felt it before and recognize the humanity in their neighbor because that is a group that is unlike any other ordinary revolution. The gospel is not a subversive movement. It is a movement that builds people up, human communities. We've said this many times before, Christians do not dance to an imperial drum, but instead they follow Jesus. And 8th Street Church, this is the kind of community you are. And I need to tell you that I am so grateful to be sharing in this season of lament with you because what I can see is how that energy that goes before you and that goes before us is being used and will be used as we walk through these days of lament. Well, I think the most important thing that we can do in response before we sing is to actually pray together. And in that Zoom meeting, my friend, uh, my friend Lynn, who is a chaplain at a university, prayed this prayer. And I'd like it to be our prayer as well. And it went like this. This whole Lent, lament, sadness thing. It paralyzes, shocks. We feel loss, even death. So God, be the God of new creation. Reveal yourself in new ways. Be so close that we might know you. Push us beyond the boundaries of our comfortable lives and yet at the same time give strength to those who are extending themselves for, them, for their sake and for the sake of others. And it is in Christ's strong and powerful name we pray. Amen and amen. Sing this song with us as an act of worship.
Yeah.
So each week we take with us a practice that we can carry out throughout the week. And um, you'll have this practice in your inbox tomorrow on Monday. But we invite you this week um, into a practice of voicing lament and also voicing gratitude. They are not opposite ends of the spectrum. They're actually more like two different sides of the same coin, recognizing our connectedness and our humanity. And so we have some questions for you to help you process this. Maybe it's a time of individual reflection at the end of the day, or maybe it's an evening meal or a bedtime routine with your family. But ask the questions, what are you grateful for today? And what has made you sad? today? What are you afraid of today? Or what are you worried about today? And then the invitation that Jesus has for us is to recognize his presence with us in both our gratitude and lament. We are hopeful that you will join us throughout the week, through our Holy Week activities. Please check your social media, and email to be sure that you know all that we are doing together this week. We want to see you there. Please now receive these words of benediction. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. Shine.